LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guests today are Hugh Newman and Jim Vieira who join us to discuss their book, The Giants of Stonehenge and Ancient Britain. Did giants really exist in the British Isles? Do the legends of them building Stonehenge hold any reality? Why do the establishment deny they ever existed? Hugh and Jim, best-selling authors of Giants on Record, America's Hidden History, and stars of History Channel's Search for the Lost Giants, investigate these claims and take a deep dive into obscure newspaper accounts, antiquarian diaries, archaeological reports, local history records, newly translated ancient texts, academic papers, new scientific reports, and written evidence from hundreds of sources going back over a 4,000 year period to uncover the truth. Over 250 accounts of the remains of giant human skeletons ranging from 7 feet to 21 feet have been found in the archaeological and historical record often measured and commented on by famous scientists, scholars and writers at the time. A wealth of folklore from England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland talk about sophisticated cultures of giants with supernatural powers and advanced technology who had control over thunder and lightning as witnessed when their tombs were disturbed by later generations. They were often high kings and queens who were master geomancers, surveyors, architects and astronomers who ruled from their mountaintop fortresses, whilst others were cannibals with violent tendencies who enjoyed throwing gigantic rocks across the landscape. The authors take a close look at these age-old stories and the remarkable skeletal discoveries to reveal for the first time an important lost chapter of British history. Related subjects discussed include the existence of Atlantis and other antediluvian civilizations, whether humans have existed for far longer than is currently accepted, global flood and catastrophe myths and legends, and whether differing atmospheric conditions in the distant past allowed life on Earth to grow to enormous sizes compared with the last few millennia. Hello and welcome, Hugh and Jim. Thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Greg. Okay, today, guys, we're going to be discussing uh, your new book that's entitled The Giants of Stonehenge and Ancient Britain. Before we dive into that, if for listeners who don't know, if you could each just give a little bit of information about your background and your work in general. Uh, my name's Jim Vieira. <laughs> I'm from uh, Massachusetts. You might be able to figure that out. Uh, I'm a stonemason by trade. I studied economics at the University of Massachusetts. I've been interested in ancient mysteries, though, probably since my early teens, interested in metaphysics, lost worlds, Edgar Cayce's material, the mystics. Um, just uh, intuitively felt there was kind of a different story to humanity. 
And uh, personally, I've done a series of shows for the History Channel with my brother and Hugh. I've done one Search for Lost Giants, a couple on the Lost Colony of Roanoke. And I've appeared probably on a dozen other shows like Ancient Aliens and Expedition Unknown with Josh Gates. And I'm an author, co-author of two books. And um, I think that's about it. Yeah, okay. My, my name's Hugh Newman. Um, I'm a megalithomaniac. Founded the Megalithomania Conference back in 2006 with John Martin and Gareth Mills. And yeah, I kind of got into this from more the paranormal realm, but then drifted into megaliths big time, and it kind of took over my life. Um, and yeah, I've got a few books out, Earth Grids, I've got one on Stone Circles, um, like I say, the two books with Jim, Giants on Record, and um, the Giants of Stonehenge in ancient Britain. And uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a traveller. I travel around the world documenting this on uh, my Megalithomania UK YouTube channel. And um, yeah, yeah, we've got... Um, we, we, we do quite a bit we do quite a bit of uh organizing of events and uh um and tours and things like that too okay so megaliths are a whole subject area unto themselves it's fascinating i've done many shows on that the existence in the past um of giants whatever you know, that is whatever that that looked like is also an entire subject area in itself um what so what's the connection here that you're making in the book uh, you know, I'll say when you travel around the world, whether it's in Saksiwaman or Pumapunku, you have these legends <coughs> of giants building the structures, actually passed from the indigenous people to the Spanish explorers. Then you have accounts of bones being unearthed that are of giant size. You have legends at Stonehenge, for instance, of giants. And then you have, as we highlight in the book, several giant skeleton unearthings as well that are documented by uh, noted historians. And, yeah, the mythology, the legend seems to be that, uh, like, the Cyclops and, and these other uh, beings were associated with megalith building. Now, you could take it as a fantasy, as a as a folklore, or you could view it from a, a, a different lens of a lost world. The mystics, Edgar Casey Steiner, Blavatsky, they would point to uh, the existence of lost continents like Lemuria and Atlantis, and that's one of the sides of the story is that in Ireland especially you have the Tuatha de Danine and the Fomorians showing up from a lost continent in the middle of the Atlantic. There were giants among the ranks. They're portrayed as benevolent and malevolent. And basically uh, there's just this, this vast worldwide connection with giants and megaliths. Do you have anything to add to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially, I mean, in Britain, we have a, a very strong connection between, you know, the giants and the megaliths. It's, it's quite profound. I mean, the most obvious one is the fact that Stonehenge was called the Giant's Dance, report, as recorded back in the 1100s, you know, in the history of the Kings of Britain, and before that, apparently, as well, according to some earlier texts. Um, but many giants' graves, giants' tombs, giants' hills, and everything else are found all across the British Isles. I mean, virtually every part of the British Isles has these very strong traditions and and quite elaborate legends that claim, you know, how these sites were built and who built them, even named giants in like Cornwall and Wales especially. Uh, and so, and often they have different qualities, these giant myths, uh, of who, who these giants were. Some of them were very nice. Some of them were kind of, you know, benevolent. Some of them were kind of super nasty cannibals. Others were building sites, throwing stones across the landscape in certain geometries, marking out stuff. So, so there's a lot of kind of encoded information when you get into the stories of the giants, especially their relation to the megalithic sites. Well, from 
my research, it seems that the tallest human on record um, was a guy called Robert Wadlow, um, and he reached a height of 8 foot 11, which is unimaginable, but there it is. Now, he died young because uh, he got an infection after an injury when he was just 22, but it was nothing to do with his, his height, as I understand it, his size. Um, and he was apparently uh, incredibly physically strong, as you might expect. Uh, there was another guy called uh, John Rogan. He's kind of second on the list of tallest humans, you know, verified. And um, he was eight foot six. And he died around age 36, 37. There's some dispute over when he was actually born. And he was actually not in good uh, physical shape, really. He really suffered um, from being so tall. The reason I mention this is because there's no obvious correlation between being large and being healthy or unhealthy or strong or weak. I mentioned these guys, and there's a there's a laundry list of other human beings verified as being over eight foot tall. Is that this this has happened? This does happen. So extraordinary large humans are a thing. So whether you call them giants or not is another matter, but it's physically a thing. Now, in my reading of fourteen. Um, phenomena and um, all sorts of weird and wonderful stories over the decades. One of the issues with tales of giants has been that the field is unfortunately, in terms of evidence, is replete with hoaxes and exaggerations. And this is no doubt something that you've come up um, against with your research. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I'll quickly say that in Northern Ireland, the highest incidence of pituitary gigantism, the condition you're talking about where you have a tumor on the pituitary gland and it causes out-of-control growing like, like Robert Wadlow, um, the highest incidence is in Northern Ireland in Ulster County where the Tuatha Dé Danann landed. And you could view it as a, maybe it's an inbreeding or interbreeding that took place in a genetic rejection or just like when you have polydactylism, six fingers and toes, you have high incidence of that occurring in the four corners area of, of the United States where the Pueblo peoples have a much higher incidence than the normal population. So these mythological traits seem to be blended in um, with the general population. I'll, I'll say to the idea that a lot of what we research, they're just you know, acromegaly and, and pituitary gigantism. Oftentimes there are multiple skeletons that are uh, unearthed, you know, three or four, eight foot tall, over nine foot tall. This um, <clears throat> isn't just a disease condition. It's also you've got to remember that you know what what you know when you're looking at these kind of hoaxes and exaggerations, there you know we, we go into those. I mean, it's something we very you know we kind of focus on actually. We look for the hoaxes, we look and we expose them. And you know, there's a lot of quite famous ones in America and Britain and around the world that we've investigated and actually put them in as hoaxes in the book, made it very clear what is what. And but you know everything we kind of tend to include in our research we dig into the accounts as far as we can go and if there's no real evidence of hoaxes then we think it's worthy of inclusion but we have found one of the most famous ones is obviously the Antrim giant um, which was found in uh, the late 1800s according to a strand magazine and it's been in many publications it was like a fossilized giant 12 foot 6 inches tall or so but Jim did a lot of research into that, and you know, for years we thought it was real. You know, until we properly took a deep dive into the research, and Jim spent months digging around and, and found this whole trail of hoaxes, linking it with American hoaxes and and much more. So, just what you got to add. I mean, Jim knows yeah, more about it than me, really. Well, I was also going to say that 
you know, in the Smithsonian's own records in the United States, there's 17 over seven foot skeletons, over eight, eight foot skeletons, a, a skull that was 36 inches in diameter from Illinois. <clears throat> you have many instances of uh, sober academics talking about um, dimensions that are well out of normal range. And the same thing holds true in the British Isles. We have sort of Thomas Elliott and other, you know, well-known professionals uh, identifying a stationary object that everybody's familiar with and giving straightforward anatomical measurements. So that's what grabs our attention. If it was it's just kind of these vague myths and legends and, and accounts that seem out of sorts, we wouldn't be uh, doing a deep dive into it. Uh, we really feel like there's a story here. Yeah, I think the perception when someone says the word giant is they think of, you know, for example, a fairy tale like Jack and the Beanstalk, and they think the giant has to necessarily mean... Um, you know, a humanoid being like tens of feet high, you know, that's <laughs> so much bigger than an average human. Um, whereas actually in some accounts, for example, of uh, the tale of uh, David and Goliath, G Goliath is, is pitched at like less than eight feet tall, just a really fucking big guy, but not, you know, not a hundred feet tall <laughs> with his head in the clouds. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think we firmly established that there was, uh, in the United States, a race of seven-foot-tall, um, or a ruling class, I should say, of seven- to eight-foot-tall Native American shamans and wisdom keepers that uh, would have a bloodline that was kept together for thousands of years. They were uh, talked about by the early explorers. All the early explorers you can name from John Smith to Magellan to Soto, they encountered giant native chiefs that were depicted as seven and a half, eight and a half, over nine foot tall, uh, tallest, you know, on their knees, taller than, than any man that, that they had ever seen, things like that. And then down in Patagonia in the late 1800s, Frederick Cook was an explorer, and he took pictures of the Ona people who came, who their traditions say came from a lost land, and there's a six foot six woman, seven foot six inch male that he identifies in photographs, and and basically the tribe was between six and a half to eight foot tall, documented before unfortunately they were all wiped out by genocide. Um, you you have lots of native people that um, not only have the traditions, they have the rulers who like that. In the British Isles, it's the same thing, but when you get into ten, eleven, twelve foot skeletons. I have not seen or DNA tested something that large, although pretty sober individuals have, have highlighted these finds. And I understand that the general public will not jump on board uh, wholeheartedly until that occurrence takes place. But there is a mystery beyond that because the occurrence of the number of seven-foot and tallest skeletons unearthed from the burial mounds of Europe and the United States and other places versus the general population is completely um, separate and different. <clears throat> well, what what physical fossil evidence do we have? You know, stuff that, albeit you might have to make an appointment, but that we can go and see uh, in terms of skeletons. There's a limited number. I have, we have to be quite honest with you. I mean, we know obviously there's the skeleton of Charles Byrne. That that is only you know not that not that old really, but extremely tall. But we also have. I mean, there's a couple of in Britain. We have the Thirsk giant, which is in the Thirsk Museum. 
found at Castle Garth, I think just a few few decades ago, and that's over seven feet tall, and the remains of it are on display in this tiny local museum in Yorkshire. In America, we have the Mutter Museum in um, uh, Philadelphia, and I witnessed this myself. There's a seven foot six to seven foot eight skeleton on display there which is could be native american there's there's a a good case for that and there's a very in, a lot of intrigue in how it was discovered and got to be put on display because in america now the problem with finding physical remains is that not only did the smithsonian we believe cover it all up and we've got a very good made a very good case for that in our previous book on america but also in 1990 the nagpra act was enforced and this is the native american graves protection and repatriation act where all native american grave goods bones skeletons burials were reburied and taken back to these native american tribes in collusion with the federal government so all that was on display and there was a lot on display and there are photographs there are as evidence there's scientific measurements and documents of this um say that that they were on display but now it's literally illegal to even have a bone or a skull or anything like this yeah let me let me jump in here for a sec in the 40s in the 50s in the 60s in the united states you had Anthropologists like Don Dragoo, head of the Carnegie. You had Webb and Snow anthropologists at the Dover Mound from the University of Kentucky. You had Joseph Benthal from the University of Alabama at DeSoto's Cave. All those gentlemen found over seven foot skeletons with massive jaw bones and bone structure, jaw bones that would fit over your face. Absolute, you know, not NBA players, but like an NFL linebacker who's over seven foot tall, seven foot six, all documented. All the bones were repatriated in the DeSoto cave. They, they buried them again. Uh, and then you get into the conspiratorial side. The Smithsonian's own um, head of record says the tallest skeleton that they have is six foot three inch, a Sioux with acromegaly, a Sioux Native American. And even in our show, we find the Steelville cave uh, in, in 1933. There was an eight and a half foot skeleton that was unearthed. We find the picture of it. We find the doctor's office where it was laid out in University of Missouri anthropologists, put it together, measured it, and shipped it to the Smithsonian. We have a six-foot foot guy laying right next to the eight-and-a-half-foot skeleton. We talk about it on our show. It just doesn't seem to add up. So, you know, that right there blows out of the water the claims that the Smithsonian only has a six-foot-three-inch skeleton. So we don't believe in vast conspiracies and guys with cigars around a round table. It's more... Just the human ego. Nobody likes to admit they're wrong. People are entrenched. There's true believers who are often immune to logic and reason. Then there are pseudo-skeptics who are more interested in being right and being kind of smarmy assholes than they are finding the truth. So we try to meet in the middle and be objective and highlight what science needs to occur to prove the case. So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying um, it's it's tough to pin down uh, evidence, but there has been a lot of it. Uh, that has been verified and repatriated, especially in the United States. Yeah, I've often wondered about the motivation. You mentioned conspiracies, cover-ups. Um, but in any event, what, what the motivation would be, be, I mean, you mentioned ego. You certainly have researchers, historians, scientists uh, thinking about grants, you know, financial grants, about tenure, about their position within their field. But why there seems to be a drive to when it comes to human origins, um, ancient history, evolution, um, to jump 
on anything and stamp out anything that seems to contradict a mainstream narrative. It's kind of like, is it really that important? Clearly it is in some way. But you know, the, the idea of, uh, oh, I might get my funding cut or I might be uh, you know, written off as a crank if I go down this, for me that doesn't explain this, um, these reactions enough. Yeah, no, you, you may be right. Um, the, some examples are, say, the Clovis barrier, for instance. For 50 years, there's been strong evidence that people were in the United States well before 12, 13, 14,000 years. But any time um, even mainstream anthropologists and archaeologists presented their evidence, they were accused literally of, of, of falsifying evidence, of being incompetent. And these, these are shows from like, you know, Jim Adavazio from Meadowcroft Shelter in Pennsylvania on PBS and, and uh, anthropologists from the University of Texas making these claims. This is all, you know, out there for anyone to see. And then finally, about a month ago, they found incontrovertible evidence that uh, humans were in New Mexico 23,000 years ago at least because the uh, footprints that were found have the grass seed embedded in them. So they have the exact date uh, that, that this occurred. So it's at least 23,000 years. And this has taken and, – and there's been so much uh, pushback and, and so much divisiveness over the subject. And then you get into the younger driest impact hypothesis and all these other things. And I just, it's, it's just human nature. And, and I say that in a bad way that, that humans are, are petty and oriented towards selfishness and being right. They're not self-reflective and, and generally, you know, there are some good people out there, but people, especially in the academic world or with an axe to grind, just like true believers, they just are tribal and their uh, preferences are weaponized. They wouldn't, investigate like an academic would investigate the stuff you and I did it's just not in their their mindset you know so I really feel that that's a lot of it you know and it's like politics and religion people are weaponized in their attitudes and they it's like you're on my team or you're on the other team instead of like let's meet in the middle and figure out the truth because you got also I mean one of the main things we covered in uh, our previous previous book was the the whole Smithsonian issue um and because there's a, clearly there's reports there's literally hundreds of reports of people sending the skeletons skulls and bones they're finding on their properties or in mounds to the smithsonian or there's the smithsonian collecting them we're talking hundreds if not thousands potentially of giant bones and skeletons evidence that we want to look at and then you know these people would contact the smithsonian months later and be no doesn't exist don't know what you're talking about and just dismiss it and this this was like repeated over and over again and it got to a point where it was so ridiculous because there are 17 accounts of between seven and eight seven and eight foot tall skeletons in smithsonian's own annual reports of their own excavators but digging at sites discovering these bones and skeletons and yet at the end of the report they claim they don't exist and then years later they claim nothing exists so there's missing evidence and a lot of you know, people like the smithsonian and other institutions have a lot to answer for well jim you mentioned the evidence for you know um, humans being in north america all that time ago i'm kind of interested in like work with someone like for example michael cremo the idea that humans might have been around on earth for millions of years uh certainly uh i'm with graham hancock on this it's uh, you know with his series of posts that he keeps doing stuff just keeps on getting older uh but i i, I think there's a, a long period of time um there in human history that it, so far we have not really taken into account people might feel that millions of years is too much of a stretch i i, I think we just don't know 
that's a valid point. Uh, we know Michael, and uh, he's uh, done huge conference in, in London, got to know him well. He's actually funny as hell. He's a great guy. He he has done virtually the same thing that Hugh and I have done, is gone through the scientific and historical literature and, and pulled out all these um, sober accounts of, of these almost supernatural happenings. And he goes through one after the other after the other. And it's funny, and he got the same reaction we did, you know, like which we're trying to upend science and with cranks and it's like no I'm, I'm we're not even making a hypothesis here we're just laying it out case like isn't this fascinating or look at the uh, ubiquitous nature of this phenomena or look at the thing the uh, the data that seems to be beyond coincidence um if you are into traditions and mythology uh certainly there are uh engineers like uh the Sumerian gods that are mentioned as the creators of humans and and these things go back hundreds of thousands of years and if you're into the, the mystical side of things um, as well, I just think it's you, you develop a hypothesis and then you engage science to prove it, but it takes a long time, unfortunately. Like, recently they found the Dragon Man skull of a Denisovan in 2018 in China, and it's an enormous skull, at least 146,000 years old. The Denisovans were first found in 2010, and they mated with us and Neanderthals. And so what it's stating is that our human ancestors were much larger than ever thought. We don't have the long bones yet, but it could be eight to nine foot tall. We, we still don't know yet. We know the teeth are absolutely enormous. Um, so you, you have uh, this verification that, that our ancestors had a higher cranial capacity and were much larger. They weren't dwarf-like people. And then I'll add that hobbits have also been found in Indonesia that are a three-foot-tall human cousin. So... You know, there, there is uh, a lot of mystery out there. You can't claim a conspiracy and sit in your mother's basement and make up a bunch of stuff. But, you know, you can bring these points to light and try to objectively solve, solve the uh, kind of the enigma of mythology and why science has never been able to grab it, grapple with it or make sense of it. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalize Freedom dot com.